Okay. Uh, so good to have you guys here uh, today. And we want to talk about a, a sensitive and controversial uh, subject. And the Spirit has been working on my heart over the last month in regards to this topic. And uh, we have one more uh, installment in the Ecclesiastes series, which I'll be preaching next week. I had Palm Sunday open. I wasn't sure what exactly I was going to speak on, so I decided to flip them. Because our postcard going out, uh, but really felt that uh, the Spirit was leading me to talk about this issue uh, because uh, this issue of same-sex marriage has uh, been a, a topic of national, state uh, debate. Uh, there's a conversation going on. Whenever there's a conversation going on, I think it's very important that we, as Christ followers, be reminded of what the Word of God has to say about a particular uh, situation. Now, the national conversation that's going on, of course, is in regards to the Supreme Court. In California, they legalized same-sex marriage, and then there was a group that brought a proposition, which they can do in California, and uh, people voted on it, and they said, we believe in marriages between a man and a woman, and so that changed the Constitution, and so now uh, there's another lawsuit, and it's been brought before the Supreme Court, and the decision will come down, uh, I think, in June in regards to what the Supreme Court says about it. So there's a national debate going on about that, and then at the same time there is a state debate going on. Illinois uh, is probably very close to legalizing same-sex marriage, a place uh, where we live and call home. Uh, our representatives are making this decision, and so it's important that uh, we know uh, what God's Word says and that we can speak in uh, to this issue that our representatives are making on our uh, behalf. And, and all this conversation comes down to personal conversations, uh, whether it be with friends at Starbucks or whether it be with neighbors, uh, whether it be with, with our family and, and speaking to our children about it. And, and I, I just find there's, there's a lot of confusion out there sometimes when it comes uh, to this particular issue. Uh, this is past week. I got a lot of emails uh, in regards to this issue, and a couple were very angry. And that kind of puzzled me because I hadn't said anything yet. <laughs> Usually you get them after you say things, right? <laughs> and so I called these people who were very angry at me. And uh, I talked to one lady just briefly. She said she couldn't talk at that time because I really wanted to talk with her and see what her concerns were. But, and that's exactly the reason we need to talk about it, because it is an emotionally charged issue. And, again, as Christ followers, the majority of Christ followers just listen to the media and the news and they never read uh, biblical materials on the view of homosexuality and same-sex marriage. and So they're just hearing what is delivered to them. And it's our role as a church, obviously, to speak from God's Word. And since we're right in the midst of this debate, uh, a very critical time uh, in our country, uh, today we're going to be talking about this. And I just want to let you guys know uh, that uh, this is a very personal issue for many people. Uh, for some of you, uh, well, most of us obviously know people uh, who are gay and lesbian. Uh, some of us uh, have friends 
that are gay and lesbian. Some of us have relatives that are gay and lesbian. Uh, some of us have children, adult children who are gay and lesbian, or have teenagers who are struggling uh, with gay and lesbian desires. And it is so painful. It, it is so challenging, especially as a Christ follower, to work through with someone in your family this particular issue. And I've been involved in these situations. And uh, it, it's just very, very difficult. And uh, compassion, of course, is the order of the day in regards to uh, this issue of homosexuality. I believe it is a sin, as we'll talk about, but at the same time, like any sin, you know, we all struggle with sin, right? We're all sinners. Uh, we, we need to show a tremendous amount of compassion to people who struggle uh, with these issues because sexual identity is so core to who we are. And I've always felt over the years, I have a friend in high school uh, who uh, I knew very well. He was in my church youth group and uh, very involved. And, um, you know, I, I learned later that he struggled uh, with this. And he was in the lifestyle, and then he stepped out of the lifestyle. And uh, it, it's very, very painful. And my heart has always gone out to people I've counseled in this situation because the have those desires and be a Christ follower and try to reconcile all that is very difficult. Uh, and Nina, the uh, first church that Lori and I started back in the 90s, uh, 89, uh, there was a woman, Terry, and she uh, was a lesbian, and she was with a partner, and she came to our church and attended regularly, and I had the privilege of leading her into a personal relationship uh, with Jesus Christ, and Lori and I just loved Terry and accepted her where she was at. And uh, over time, though, we, we shared with her, you know, and she already knew, but we shared with her that we felt that, that, uh, that we knew that wasn't God's will uh, for her life. And, uh, you know, we just continued to process with her, and as time went by, she eventually broke off that relationship, and in several years she went back to the relationship, and, and she broke it off again, and today I believe she's married to a man. So that's the way we address people who struggle with this, with compassion, with love, with understanding. And we as Christ followers, more than anyone who have been shown God's grace in all of our sin, need to show grace and understanding. But the challenge that we face as Christ followers is that we have to balance truth and grace. The truth is found here. And the truth is that God desires us to live in a certain way. He commands us to live in a certain way. And so therefore, like for example, in the midst of my relationship with Terry, I had to speak truth to her, but also with an abundance of grace. I'm saying this is what God's Word says. This is God's plan for you. This is the best thing for your life. He wants the best thing uh, for your life. So that's always a challenge, balancing that truth and grace uh, issue. And, and I want to say there's really two issues here we're talking about. We're talking about same-sex marriage and we're talking about homosexuality. Really today I'm primarily talking about same-sex marriage because that's a presenting issue that's going on nationally. Uh, homosexuality issue obviously I have to address, uh, but that's not the primary issue I'm addressing uh, today. It's uh, the, the significance of this particular decision that our state is looking at as well as our country uh, is looking at. 
And it's so important that in the midst of the grace we show that we speak truth. In 1 Corinthians uh, 13.6, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13.6, do we have that up there? Okay. Uh, love, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So the point here is that if we're going to truly love someone, we shouldn't approve of their homosexual lifestyle, but we should speak truth. I mean, if you say, oh, well, that's great, that's okay for you, you know, you're not a Christ follower. No, I mean, God's command applies to everyone, especially in relationship to sexual relationships and what's, what's healthy and what's right. And therefore, we need to speak truth to them. To not speak truth to them in the midst of our grace uh, would be to harm them and do a disservice uh, to them. And so that's what we're talking about here. Well, let's take a look at God's definition of marriage. Genesis 1, 27 through 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And that dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, we've talked about the Great Commission, that we were going to make disciples of all nations. Well, this is a cultural commission found in the beginning of time, found in the beginning of creation. God says, this is my plan. This is my design to have a man and woman be married together and to have children and for their children to have children and to fill this beautiful earth that I've given you. This is before the fall, okay? Uh, to fill this earth that I've given you and you're to manage this creation. That is God's design and plan that He has laid out. Now, we move on to Genesis chapter 2 and we see the definition of marriage. It says, And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she, she, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, it's interesting, Jesus Christ quotes this when the Pharisees ask him about, is it okay for people to get a divorce? In verse 4 of Matthew 19, Jesus Christ quotes this passage and adds to it. He says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Then he adds to it, he quoted the Old Testament, and he says, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So he lays out the plan for marriage, Jesus Christ. Does. One seminary professor, uh, Costerton, uh, wrote out a marriage definition that looks like this. Uh, marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant relationship that you enter into. A sacred bond, because it's done before God and with God, between a man and a woman. And there's the, the key thing we're looking at, right? right? A man and a woman instituted by and publicly entered into before God and normally consummated by sexual intercourse. 
That's the definition of a marriage. Then he goes on to give five different points. Uh, we look at these points about marriage. The permanence of marriage, the sacredness of marriage, the intimacy of marriage, the mutuality of marriage, and the exclusiveness of marriage. Now let's take a look at each of these. Let's go back to Matthew 19, and we'll see these uh, stated. First of all, the permanence of marriage. It says in verse 6, So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Marriage was intended for a lifetime. God put two people together, and his plan was that they would stay together until one of them died. So there's a permanence of marriage. The second thing, the sacredness of marriage. It says, what therefore God has joined together, let not men separate. God is the one who puts two people together. It's His will. Two people come together. And uh, maybe for you, if you were in a church setting, uh, in any type of setting, if you were a Christ follower, you weren't just making a contract between you and your spouse. You were making a vow to God that you were going to... Commit your life to this person, that you are going to love them only as a husband or wife, that you are going to give yourself to them in every possible way, that you are going to serve them in sickness and in health till death do us part. And you are making that commitment to God. And we talked about vows, right? In our series in Ecclesiastes, vows are very serious. And when you make a vow to God, you be careful to keep it through the power of Jesus Christ. Then it goes on to talk about the intimacy of marriage. We see this in verse 5. And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The beauty of a sexual relationship in the context of a marriage is what God designed. That we might become one flesh together. There is no more intimate relationship on earth than between a man and a woman who are married and involved, obviously, in, in a sexual relationship. And, and God designed it that way. And, and that's why, of course, it can be so painful when things go bad. Because it is such an intimate relationship. We move on to the mutuality of marriage. The mutuality of marriage. It says that the, uh, the man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Be committed to his wife. So the idea behind marriage is when people uh, stand up to be married, they're getting a whole new job description in life. <laughs> right? Well, one of the primary things you do beyond loving God if you were to love this woman or to love this man, your job every day is to wake up and think, how can I meet the needs of this person? How can I care for them? My wife Lori is sick this weekend. Pray for her. She's got that virus going around. And she, uh, the virus knocks you silly, you know. And so I'm seeking to do what God has called me to do. I bought unsalted saltines. And I bought 7-Up, and uh, I set up the TV just the right way. Uh, I, I'm no hero here. 
<laughs> but I sought to care for her in her sickness, and that's my job because I made that commitment to her. All right? The exclusiveness of marriage. The exclusiveness. It says, God has joined together. Let not man separate. And so when there is a person who has an adulterous relationship with a person who is married, that person has separated that marriage. And God says that should not be done. This is God's plan for marriage that we're, we're seeing in overview. This was God's design from the beginning. Now, now there's an even deeper, more beautiful meaning of marriage found in Ephesians 5, verse 24. It says, now as the church submits to Christ. And let me just tell you what it is up front. He said, marriage illustrates the relationship of Christ and the church. The man is representing Christ, and the woman is representing the church. And, of course, as you know, Christ is married to the bride, his church. And someday we'll have the marriage feast of the Lamb, when we will be with, with Jesus Christ in heaven, and we'll celebrate this marriage that we have with Christ. So before creation, this was God's plan is that we, we, uh, would be the bride of Christ. And, and marriage would be a picture of that. So marriage is just so more broad than, than we think. It's this beautiful covenantal relationship that reflects the most important relationship, and that is between God and the church. God being the groom, Jesus Christ being the groom, that is, and the bride being the church. So... See how this is spelled out here in Ephesians 5. Now, as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So, the husband represents Christ. The woman represents the church. We're to submit to Christ, and the woman is to submit to the husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So, husbands, we represent the we represent Jesus Christ. That's a very tall order. And we're to love our wives as, as Jesus loved the church. And, of course, he gave his life for his bride. And, men, I want to encourage you to memorize that verse, take time in your daily office to meditate upon it, to pray over it, and ask that Jesus Christ would fill you with his power in order to do the miraculous and love your wife in that way. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There we see it again. The definition of marriage. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So he's saying, I'm not amazed, I'm not overcome by the mystery of, of a man and woman becoming married. I'm overcome of the mystery of Christ and his love for the church. I'm overcome by the marriage of Christ and the church. And, and we who are married reflect God in our marriages. And, and that's why we need to continue to, to seek the Spirit's power in order to, to have marriages that are healthy, even in the midst of our sinfulness, uh, that, that God would pour his grace upon us and that we might be able to show the world what healthy marriages are all about. It starts with us. So this is God's plan. And, and what we need to realize as we reflect upon the United States and, and how the United States was founded and the principles it was founded upon. It was, it was founded upon 
the principles in this book. Why did the pilgrims come here in the first place? Well, the main reason was for religious freedom, right? In order that they might live this book out in, in the way that they desired. And the Judeo-Christian ethic has been uh, just the, the piece of fabric, the core piece of fabric that is that has been a part of the American culture since the beginning. And as we all know, that culture is uh, a frame. The fabric of the culture is frame. But friends, the unit of, 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 of a family, a man and a woman, married, committed to one another, and a child and God being in the middle of that family, has what made this country great. That's why God, I believe, has blessed this country because we, uh, the majority of Americans at different times in history, have been Christ followers and have lived out the truths in this book, and God has honored us for that. But we're drifting away from that. And that's the issue of great concern. So, so we've got this building block that really all great societies have been built upon, that of the family. And we're turning away from that. And now we're hearing that the state, legislator, state legislators down in Springfield are going to make same-sex marriage legal. Well, who are they to define what marriage is, right? I mean, God already defined marriage. Now they're saying, well, uh, we're going to make same-sex marriage legal. That's an oxymoron. Same-sex marriage does not make any sense. It is not same-sex. God did not design it that way. That's what man is saying. President Obama sends a brief to the Supreme Court, and he says, I don't see any reason why uh, two gay people shouldn't uh, be married. But half of the population of the United States favors same-sex marriage. There has been a tremendous swing, friends, in the last ten years in polls. The tremendous swing is, hey, it's okay, because the, the general attitude, hey, live and let live. What, what? Why can't they just you know, be married? Why can't they have the same rights as people who are married? Well, some Christians feel that way. It's kind of like, what's the big deal? Well, it is a big deal. And there's two reasons it's a big deal. First of all, because homosexuality is a sin. We read in Leviticus 18.22, it says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman, which is an abomination. Pretty straightforward. Probably the clearest passage, there are many other passages we could look at, but that's not our focus today. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So, we have a lot of different people there who are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You've got the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, and then people who practice homosexuality. Now, this verse has been used in a wrong way. It's been misapplied, and people say, well, homosexuals are going to hell, you know. <laughs> We're in that list, guys, okay? 
That's a list of sinners. Now, it does say that homosexuality is a sin, but hey, adultery is a sin, greed is a sin. I mean, right there, I think that nails all of us, right? The greedy? <laughs> all right? We're in this list. This is a list of sinners. And the beauty of this passage, uh, this is just such a powerful passage. It says, uh, neither any of these people will. Do you not know that the, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then it goes on to say in verse 11, and such were some of you. He's talking to the people at Corinth. And he's saying, hey, some of you are adulterers. Some of you were swindlers. You were thieves. Some of you were adulterers. Some of you practiced homosexuality. Some of you were sexually immoral. But God transformed your life. But you were washed. You were washed by the blood of Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on the cross. You were sanctified. You were made holy by Him. And you continue to being made holy by His Spirit, becoming more and more like Christ. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You are justified. You are sinners under the penalty of the law. But Christ paid the price. Christ took your place. And you were justified. The righteousness of Jesus Christ was imputed onto you and you became holy in the eyes of God. You are no longer under the penalty. You are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. This is, the, this is the gospel. This is what we celebrate. This is what we teach. This is why we're putting so much energy into Easter. is to reach people and tell them this good news, no matter what their sin might be. So, people say, well, what's the big deal about homosexuality then? Well, it's very complex. Well, let me first of all just address this issue of... Uh, you know, what, what people say about homosexuality. Many times people say, well, God made me this way, so therefore, how can it be a sin? Well, I don't believe that God makes people homosexuals. I, I just don't believe that. Uh, God doesn't make people adulterers. God doesn't make people thieves and all the other sins that we talked about. Um, I don't think there's any definitive study that says it's a genetic issue. And even if it were a genetic issue, it, it still wouldn't matter because God says that it's wrong. Now, again, having homosexual tendencies or desires, that's not wrong. You can't do anything about that if you have those desires or tendencies in your life. It, it's acting upon them. That's when it becomes a sin. It, it's not wrong to have those tendencies. You just can't change those tendencies overnight. And sometimes people can never change them. So, 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 so important to understand. Now, I've done a lot of research over the years in this area, and, and I've found that certainly there are a lot of studies uh, that show that the relationship of uh, the child uh, to the mother and the father and all those different dynamics certainly can uh, bring about homosexual tendencies. Certainly sexual abuse can bring about homosexual tendencies and, and a lot of other things. And, and it breaks my heart. Again, when I sit down with somebody who's struggling 
with this, the pain that they are in, because many people I've talked to, they don't want to have homosexual tendencies. They don't want to try to, they want to live that lifestyle, but again, it's very much real within them, their sexual identity, and it's so frustrating for them. And I feel that frustration. It's so painful. At the same time, there are so many different issues that we struggle with. Why? Why do people have homosexual tendencies? Because we're sinful. We are messed up. We were born sinful. This world is sinful. And therefore, as we develop, we struggle with different things. I mean, some people really have an addictive orientation in their life. They tend to be addicted to whatever that comes along. I mean, if they're addicted to alcohol, or they're addicted to drugs, or addicted to food, I mean, you name it. If they stop one addiction, they start another addiction. Now, that's not fair, is it? That's just the way it is because of the sinful world we live in and how, how we're just sinners. And we're just, we're just a bunch of disorders, right? We really are. I mean, you think about people who... Uh, struggle with uh, anger. I mean, they just have a very low frustration level. They, they want things to go in a certain way, and if things don't go in a certain way, pop! Now, now, some people just struggle with that much more than other people. That's unfair in a sense, but it's because we're sinful. There, there are other people who struggle with depression and anxiety, and, and it just plagues them. That's the nature of a sinful world. There are other people that uh, struggle with just incredibly strong sexual desires, much more than the average person, and they have to wrestle with that all their life. And, and many times it leads them into sin. Yeah, we have all kinds of temptations, and usually we have a couple of temptations that are very unique in a sense to the way we're made up. And, and yeah, it's very painful for all of us, and it, it's particularly painful for people with homosexual desires, but it still doesn't make it right. And I know that's very difficult for people to understand. But that's, I believe, what the Bible teaches. So the first reason that same-sex marriage is wrong and why we need to understand that and when we have the opportunity to speak into it is because homosexuality is a sin. The second thing is that based on God's Word, you know, God designed marriage... And so when you start tinkering with God's design, you know, legalizing same-sex marriage is not for the common good. That's why we make laws, right? For the common good. And we could have a whole seminar on this and why same-sex marriages are not for the common good. Now, there's some people who, who take a deterministic view about this. And they say, well, I mean, it's going to happen anyway. Uh, what can we do about it? You know, the U.S. is, you know, their culture is deteriorating. I'm just going to, you know, love people and, and watch everything go down the toilet. No! No, 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 no. I mean, come on! Let's look at Matthew chapter uh, 5, 13. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Do we have that in there? Matthew 5:13. You are the light of the world. 
Okay. Um, let me read it to you. That's my mistake. Um, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And it goes on to say, You are the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Usually we talk about this evangelistically, that we need to be salt and light, but I think there's another strong application of this, is that we are God's preservative in this world. Back in that day, they used salt to preserve food. Well, we are here to preserve this world. The Holy Spirit is here to preserve this world. And it says in end-time events that the Holy Spirit will be removed. And when the Holy Spirit is removed, no longer be convicting people of their sin, things are really going to go south fast. So we're here to preserve this world. We're here to speak up for what God has to say about different issues. Now we're talking about the same-sex issue. We're to be a preservative. We're, we're to be able to be a witness to what God has to say about these important issues. And again, the reason that our, our country has been blessed is because Christ followers have lived out the Christian life. And now we see the fabric of our country uh, unraveling uh, the, the sanctity of human life. Abortion, uh, assisted suicides, euthanasia. Now, that's still an ongoing issue, obviously. And then we have this issue, the redefinition of marriage and family. And the other issue is religious freedom. In fact, I put something on your message notes, the Manhattan Declaration, that I've signed personally. And I'd encourage you to check that website out because those are the three issues that will continue to be critical to our country as we move forward. And it's the reason, of course, I'm speaking on this uh, today, because we're talking about the fabric of our culture. I mean, if you look back, I mean, you look at the 60s and you have the sexual revolution. And then in the uh, 70s and 80s, you got into no-fault no divorce. In this decade, uh, our last decade, we saw cohabitation take off. It's like, who needs a marriage license? You know, we'll just hang out, live together. Friends, the value of marriage is, is being eroded. And, and so when you look at this sexual experiment that the United States has been uh, conducting for the last 50 years in regards to sexual behavior, how is it working? Are people happier than they've been in the past? Are people more healthy than they've been in the past relationally? Are people more satisfied in their relationships? No, 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 no. I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor part-time or full-time for 30 years. And I've counseled with a lot of people, and people are more messed up today than they've ever been because our nation is telling them that all this stuff is okay. And it's not okay. And when you sin, you suffer. And our nation is suffering because it continues to choose to sin. And I'll tell you what, 30 years ago, Roe v. Wade, legalizing abortion was passed. And when same-sex marriage becomes a law of the land, this is a game changer, guys. This is a Roe v. Wade moment for marriage. I really believe that. There are a lot of ramifications to it. You think about the erosion of family marriages we've talked about. You think about kids 
kids, I mean, God didn't intend kids to grow up in a family with two dads and two moms. That just wasn't his plan. In fact, the Catholic Church, it's already impacted them. I mean, they, the Catholic Charities, the largest adoption agency in the United States, they've been shutting down all over the country because they refuse to place kids in same-sex homes because they know it's not healthy for children. And therefore, this beautiful adoption process has been greatly minimized because the Catholic Church is standing by the Word of God and saying, we're not going to do that. And therefore, the state says, we're not giving you money. Okay, we have to shut down. It's already impacting kids. Then you think about curriculum in schools. I mean, you see, whenever you change marriage, you change the ecosystem. This is, we have a societal ecosystem. And when you make a major change to marriage, like many, I mean, there's nine other countries, I believe, that have adopted same-sex marriage uh, in Europe, mostly, and in South America. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, when you make this societal change, it's going to have ripple effects for generations and generations to come. And the kids are going to be the ones that are going to be the real losers in this situation. We think of uh, uh, curriculum in schools. Already in Massachusetts, that was the first state that legalized same-sex marriage back in 2004. And right away, you know, they started pushing the curriculum. I tell you what, friends, in 10 years... You think about your kids, you think about your grandkids, and it's going to, you know what the curriculum is going to be. Hey, guys, there's two alternatives. All right? What do you want to do with your life? You want to go gay or you want to go straight? They're both okay. They're both good. That's what the curriculum is going to be. Now, friends, one is going to be a life of blessing, and one certainly is going to be a life of pain. It's kind of like you say to kids, hey, kids, you know what? You've heard adultery is wrong. I mean, in our society, adultery is considered wrong still. It's not like you, you hear about someone having an affair and you go to them, Hey, great to hear about the affair. Uh, how, how'd that go for everybody? You know, what, what's a person's name? You guys hanging out together? You know, that is so cool. That is so cool. We'll have to talk more about it. And we kind of go, what, what are you talking about? But friends, that's the issue with gay marriage. It's wrong. It's not God's plan. And it's, it's that exactly. Hey, you're married to another, a person of the other sex, and you're going to have kids. That's just great. Wonderful. We can't say that to Christ followers because we know the Word of God says when you sin, you're going to suffer. And we know that in that person's life, they're going to have a lot more suffering than usual because of decisions that they're making. And out of love, we need to tell them as appropriate and encourage them to make godly decisions, and most important, encourage them to follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Another concern, again, here is in 20 years, I don't know if I'd even be able to teach this message without being arrested. I was online. There was a Swedish pastor arrested back in 2004 for preaching a message similar to this. I uh, went to the Supreme Court of Sweden, and he was acquitted, but this is encroaching upon religious freedom. So important point here is that we need to be salt and we need to be light. Please, listen to me. I'm not saying that we need to go have protests. I'm not saying that we need to start political action committees. All I'm saying is we need, first of all, we just need to vote. Back in 2008, 60,000 evangelicals, excuse me, 60 million evangelicals, only 30 of them, 30 million of them voted. That's wrong. 
I believe that's sin when a person doesn't vote. You know, we're, we're asked to vote. God asks us to honor our governments, and therefore we should vote. That's where we can express our, our opinions, and we should call our congressmen. Now, do you have a problem with calling your congressman? If, if you don't, you've got to go back to government in eighth grade, right? <laughs> there are representatives. <laughs> and if you see your representative making a really bad decision, you call them and say, hey, I think that's a bad decision. Just wanted to let you know how I feel. Have you done that yet in Illinois? With your, I have. I called them and I said, I think that's a bad decision. We need to do that. that that's, again, standing up and speaking the truth. And here's where the rubber meets the road is that when you're in a conversation uh, with people at work, with your neighbors, with a friend, and this issue comes up, will you speak up for God? Will you say, again, appropriately with love? You know, as it comes up, you know, you know, I'm a Christ follower. And there's a design for marriage and family in the Bible that's worked pretty well for our nation for 237 years. And, And I just... I don't believe same-sex marriage is going to benefit our nation. Now, a lot of people will never say that, and that's the problem here, is we cannot be silent. I doubt God is going to enter that conversation. Well, if you're not going to talk, I'm going to talk. Because you're God's representative. You're His ambassador to speak for truth. Now, again, you don't have to be brash about it or anything like that, but as God, again, that balance between truth and grace, that's how we're salt and light. We speak to the issue with love and just say, hey, I mean, everybody has different opinions, right? But you know, we're, we're afraid. We've been frightened because we, we know that if we do speak up, people will think we're a bigot. People will think that we're hateful. And people will think uh, we're closed-minded. And some of you are thinking about that me right now. Your respect for me has gone down. And I've taken a hit today because I've been your pastor and spoke truth to you about God's Word. And how we should handle this issue. And I knew I was going to take a hit. But that's my responsibility. And friends, as you move throughout life, and as this culture continues to unravel, if you stand for Christ, you are going to take a hit. Because you're going to go counterculture. And you need to ask for the incredible grace and power of Jesus Christ and your life that when you have that opportunity to speak out and be salt and light, that you'll take advantage of that. And the last thing I want to close on, if you know of someone who struggles with a homosexuality orientation, I just want to encourage you to love them. A woman wrote me a letter or email this past week and just shared how she was loving a person. And it was just a beautiful illustration of how we need to respond to people who are just in sin. Again, two different issues here, homosexuality and same-sex marriage, okay? We need to love the homosexuals, speak truth as we have an opportunity, but when, as God leads and we have the opportunity, we need to say, this is not good for our country. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the time you've given us to talk about this very sensitive topic. And Lord... Uh, I pray that you be with my friends here as they process through this information. Thank you that uh, we are a church family and we can talk about your word. And uh, Lord, if, if, if people are struggling with this, I pray they'd find somebody to talk to about it. And uh, that they would go to your word and 
go to the websites that I've listed and, and check it out for themselves and see if I speak the truth just like the Bereans. You know, They just didn't take Paul's word for it. They went to the word. So I pray if people are struggling with what I've said today, that they would take it their responsibility as their responsibility uh, to study it for themselves and see if uh, what I've said rings true with your word. In Christ's name, amen.